handful of people that are, are um, paid professionals like moi uh, do all the stuff, and we in the church go, okay, well, they do it all. They can do it all. They can do it all kind of thing. I had a guy, I was very early in ministry. I haven't, I haven't had people say or think like this, or at least that I don't know um, lately. But way back when I first became a pastor, they, one of the people in the church said to me, well, we pay you to go to the hospitals and visit people and do all that kind of stuff. I said, you don't. You pay me to administrate the church. You pay me to take care of the, the books and the finances and the structure and design how we do the services and stuff. Like that. You, don't, you don't pay me to be a Christian. Christians visit people. Christians witness. Christians pray. You don't pay me to do that stuff. You can't pay somebody to do that stuff. It's not possible. As, as the church, we've got to stop being spectators and, and be involved. Do. Be the church. My job description is written in Scripture. It says that I am to train people to do the work of the ministry, not do the work of the ministry. I'm to train people. Now, as a Christian, I do the work of the ministry, but not as a pastor. I, I help develop and, and um, help first, first see, see what it is and then motivate and then try to help uh, logistically how can you do ministry the best. And so that's what I'm speaking about these, this time frame right now. I really believe that we're transitioning in the American church, and we're going to have to be, we're going to have to see ourselves more as the priesthood, as the ministers, as the, the people that are carrying the, the weight of the ministry and doing the stuff and ministering to our neighbors and ministering to coworkers and stuff like that. For too long, we've just, hopefully, at the very least, uh, we just invited them to church and hope something happens, right? That, as we can't keep doing that. We're, we're sliding too fast into this darkness. We've got, to, we've got to start seeing some people getting saved. That's the only way we can fight this. And so, so and, and also, who knows what's going to change when it comes to the to structure of the church, to um, freedom, all this kind of stuff. I, I, I've never, I, I, have, I never thought I would see personal freedoms taken away so quickly that they have in the last year. Just what we, what we call freedom, just being free as a people. It's hard to even have discussions with younger people that, that, that um, if, if the stuff that's happening now would have happened when I was in high school, we had, people would have just shot other people. We would have had a war. They would have burned. You talk about going into the Capitol like that. They would have burnt stuff down, not like Antifa where it's just darkness evil, but people saying, no, we're, we're a republic. You can't do this. You don't have this right. You don't have this authority. It's, it's crazy stuff. So we've got to take... We've got to take more responsibility for the kingdom of God. How are we going to move forward? Well, I'm going to make. I'm going to take 100% responsibility for the kingdom of God, and I'm not going to assume anybody else is doing that. Guys, this is, this, is the mind, this is the most important part of the mindset, is I am not going to assume somebody else is doing it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to carry this. Okay? Because if I assume one other person is going to do anything, that will... Uh, that will um, alleviate my reasoning or my pressure or whatever. Guys, we can't do that. I'm going to own it. Same thing I talk about with marriage. The way a marriage works is you take 100% responsibility and you don't worry about that a person taking any. You take 100% responsibility in some areas. Own it. Just own it personally and say, I'm going to take responsibility. Same thing with the kingdom of God. So with that, the last two weeks I talked about forgiveness. I want to... Um, to look at this again this morning, but here's the, and we talked about it quite a bit Wednesday night too, 
just discussion, what does this mean, how do we do some of this stuff. But going back to the scripture I read two weeks ago, we'll start with that in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us today the food we need and forgive our sins. It's the Lord's Prayer. As we have forgiven those who sin against us, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. You can't really uh, worm your way out of this kind of scripture. There are some scriptures that are just this strong. There's no wiggle room. Okay, you, don't, you can't play uh, with this. And so um, th- there's no theological question whether or not we, our, our personal salvation and forgiveness is directly tied to how much we forgive. Right? We either forgive and then we're forgiven or we don't, so we're not. There's, there's no wiggle room there. This is why we have to let grace be in our life. We have to be people of grace. Because if we're not people of grace, grace doesn't come to us. Okay, so I talked about that over the last two weeks. Now, now I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the two more, uh, two more groups that are involved, two more people that are involved. I was talking about forgiving others. You've got to forgive others. And I've had people over the years say to me, I mean, just point blank, you're talking about something, this person did this to me, this person. And, um, and they say, I will never forgive that person. I just, about a year ago, I was sitting at a breakfast, and this guy was talking about his father-in-law, and he said, I will never forgive that person. Never forgive him for what he did. I'm like, where, where do you go from there? Because basically what you're saying, let me expand that sentence out. You're saying, I will never forgive, and I know I will never be forgiven, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. That's scary stuff. That's, that's eternal scary stuff. And so we've, we've got to forgive others. But part of the forgiveness also, in fact, I really think that this, these two next uh, people we're talking about, that we've got to forgive, not just others, it really do, it, it affects grace and how we understand God and uh, how we understand ourselves. In fact, I think it's the other way around. I'm saying it the wrong way. How we look at ourselves and how we look at God determines whether we forgive ourselves and whether we forgive God. So the first one is that we've got to forgive ourselves. This, this, this is all through this room. Not everybody struggles with this, but different personalities will. Um, different backgrounds and stuff. Uh, your, your experiences, all these things affect it. I was one of these people. I struggled greatly with forgiving myself. I struggled greatly with this. Uh, for, for pretty much all my childhood into my early 20s, even the first handful of years I was a youth pastor, I struggled greatly with forgiving me. Um, because here's, here's a, lot, a lot of different ways that we process this, but here's one of the ways that you'll hear this, is, well, you don't know, I've, I've had this said to me so many times over the years as the pastor, you don't know uh, what I did. You don't know how bad I was. You don't know my past. What they're saying is, is the stuff that I have done is too difficult for Jesus to forgive. That's what they're saying. But in reality, it, what, what they're really saying is, I am holding this stuff against myself. J- Jesus explained forgiveness, and he explained how it works. And I'm going to read some scriptures about this. But, but as, before I read these, you've got to make a decision. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I guess you could try to make it immediately right now. I think, this is a, I think it's a process decision. But you've got to make the decision whether you believe God's word or you don't. And that applies to everything. Now, we say that about all kinds of other stuff. You know, we talk a lot around here about we've got to, we've got to speak truth. We've got to stand for what's right. We've got to, okay, 
But there, some of the truth is only just you and God. It is not involving society. It's not involving anybody else. It has nothing to do with, it's totally just you and God. And you've got to make a decision. Do I believe God's word? When he tells me this is what forgiveness is, do I believe it or do I not? Do I really think I'm forgiven or do I not? So I'm going to do this more, um, just go down through some scriptures more apologetically and say, okay, here, here's just what scripture says. You've got to figure this out. It says it, and there's 50 other scriptures easy, more, way more, that we could bring up to say the exact same things. But you've got to decide, can I embrace this? Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Think about it. Do you think the Lord is slow to get angry? That's, that's your decision. The scripture says it. It is a truth. But is that how, that's not how I looked at God for years. That is, my whole childhood and, and into adulthood, I did not think God was slow to get angry. In fact, what I thought was that he stayed angry most of the time. Right? How, how, many, of you, um, how many of you grew up Catholic? Any Catholic background? Here's something you may not have processed. Why? There's this thing called Mariology. Which, which we strongly stand against, okay? Mariology means you pray to Mary and you believe that she has some kind of deity sense. It says, um, uh, uh, Mother, Blessed Mary, Mother of God, all these, those are deity kind of things. She, all right, so here's the deal with Mariology that you may have never processed. Why would you pray to Mary, the mother of Jesus? Yeah, well, besides... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, about half the things Catholics do, that's the answer, because you're a Catholic. That's why you do it. We don't know why we do it. We do it. Here's the theological premise behind, behind Mariology. Jesus is angry at you. He doesn't want to do stuff, so you need to pray to his mama to soften him up. Isn't that what Mariology is? Think about that. Guys, look at this again. He says that the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry. And according to Scripture, you, play, you pray straight to Jesus. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you way more than Mary will ever understand. Mary's not deity. Mary had to accept Jesus as her Savior too. Amen. Now, do, how do you look at God? Do you think He's slow to get angry? Think about this. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. That is the exact opposite of the way I saw God growing up. God was, God was mean. He was, um, he was the, the, this big judge in the sky that is going to punish me. He, he, he's, the, he's, the, um, he's the punisher. That's the way I saw him all my life. Now look, as we continue... He does not punish us for all our sins. Do you realize this was said before the cross? You're getting the heart of God, not just the, the pragmatic part of God. You're getting his heart. That it, it, doesn't, it doesn't qualify that sentence. It just says, you know, he doesn't even, he, he just forgives stuff. He doesn't hold it against you. We're not talking about cleansed and covered with the blood and all that other kind of stuff. It's just saying, look, God is not trying to hold stuff against you. He's not trying to, to back you into a corner where you're the sinner and he's the judge and you've and you got to come crawling out. 
That's, that's not who he is. That, that is the way that I saw him, though. I could, it, took me, it took me quite a few years to really pray through and break through some of the strongholds with this. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Now, here's where it becomes a little tricky because I, I have, this is where it goes more from thought process to uh, experience. I feel like God has dealt harshly with me at different times in the past. Now, he, he has dealt sternly with me, but he does that in a just way. And that's where, as human beings, it's difficult for us to disseminate that, where he deals justly with us because justice um, appears to be uh, prejudice against us or harshness against us if we're not careful because we're fighting to do our own thing, right? I, I talked to this guy years ago, and I've had many, many conversations like this. But he was, he was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. He was strung out, all kind of stuff. And, uh, and his wife left him. She, had, she finally was just done with it, so she leaves him. And he's mad at God. God took my wife away. I'm like, no, God didn't take your wife away. You ran her away because you're a drug addict, because you were having affairs, you're, you're alcoholic, all this other stuff. And she just couldn't do that anymore. And as the kids are getting older, she doesn't want them becoming you. But in his head, well, it was God doing this. Well, there is such a thing as justice, and God was blessing her and trying to help her because you weren't doing anything. We struggle with this stuff sometimes. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So the question is this, do you believe that? It's your, it's your decision. It's not something I can make happen. I, I've struggled to make me believe that sometimes. How can I possibly make you believe that? You've got to make the decision. Do I believe that God takes my sins as far as the east is from the west? Scripture tells us to, 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 to never be remembered, to bury them under the bottom of the ocean, to never be remembered again. That's some, that's some uh, pretty uh, definitive Forgiveness thought process. But, but can you embrace that forgiveness? We talked a little bit Wednesday night about how we can make different rules for other people. And, um, and like we judge other people or whatever. And, and when, when Jesus forgives them, we, we think they have to do this and this and jump through hoops and do all this other stuff, right? We do the same with us. Different, different personalities do differently, but we do the same with us. We say, well, everybody else can get saved. It's easy to get saved. And while I believe it's easy to get saved, I still have to do this and I have to do this. And I, and I struggled under this stuff for years and years and years that I had to be um, really, really good. I had to be perfect or, or Jesus wouldn't forgive me. Now, that really makes no sense. If you can get to perfect, why do you need forgiveness? But, but I never thought, I never slowed down enough to think about that. The reason Jesus needed to forgive me is because I needed to be forgiven, which means I'm not perfect, which means I'm a sinner, which means I've done things that the Lord is not okay with, but his love for me and his grace is so big that he wants to be right with me. He wants to have that relationship. He wants to be close. I'm the one who's pushing him away and choosing other things and all this stuff, and all he wants to do is be close. This, I, I watch this almost every single morning. So every morning, my, um, my uh, granddaughter calls us. 
Well, she's three, so it's not like she's calling us. But um, my son's there, but we don't really, you know, whatever. We talk to him, not talk to him, I don't know. But, but uh, we, t- we talked to my granddaughter, and then her little brother, he's just drools. So we are, um, we talked to my granddaughter, and I love watching this. I, I love no matter which way she presents herself. Sometimes she does not want to talk to us. You ever dealt with a three-year-old like that? We get on the phone and she's like, no, Papa, no talk to you today. And I'm like, it's okay, I'm going to talk to you, you know. But my wife gets in little arguments with this three-year-old. Oh, yeah, you don't want to talk to honey? Well, honey doesn't want to talk to you today. What do you think about that? I'll talk to Bubby. You know, you know just, I think to myself, Really? Really, why can't you be as mature as me? <laughs> you know, it's weird how, how we'll do that stuff with God. We'll argue, we'll, we'll do that. But you know, God is always just standing there. He just, he just wants to hang out with you. Have you ever thought about that? He just wants to hear from you and talk with you. This, um, it was either yesterday or the day before, we were talking to my granddaughter, and right before she, she had to go to bed, and so right before she got off the phone, she said, I love you, Papa. Bye-bye. And she blew me a kiss. I'm like, that's all I need in life right there. That's it. I don't need food. I don't need water. That's all I need. There's something about that. There's something about grandkids. I don't know how to explain it. Somebody just this week told me, I never thought grandkids would be this cool. You don't even, I mean, I love my kids deeply. And I have good relationships with my kids. They're my best friends, all this kind of stuff. But in comparison to grandkids... They are, not, they are not even there. They mean nothing when that grandkid walks in the room, right? Here's the thing. Do you know that God so much loves us and wants to be close to us, it transcends that by millions? He just wants to, he just wants to you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to say, um, good morning, God, and blow him a kiss. I don't know if that's weird for you, but, but he wants closeness with you. He wants... He wants you to know that he just loves you so much. But, but we struggle with this God that could love me this much and he can forgive me and he will push my sins as far as the east from the west. We struggle with that God sometimes. Because we make up rules that we need to go by before salvation can be active in our life. We make up rules. And it depends on your background. I, I see this is directly connected with, like I mentioned Catholicism earlier, Directly connected with your church background depends on which things you think you need to do to make sure you're earning God's grace. Whether it's going to church or, or um, you know, taking communion or, or you know, praying a certain way. Or, I mean, giving in the offering. Uh, I, I've had people say that to me before. Years ago, I had a businessman, a very wealthy businessman, gave money to the church. And he was kind of half-joking, but not totally. When he said, now that should give me about six months of grace, Right? And I said, it will give you a lifetime of grace because that's who Jesus is. It has nothing to do with your money. It has nothing to do with your money. Now, as a pastor, this was a small church and a struggling church. As a pastor, it gave him lots of grace with me. <laughs> People are like, oh, that's hypocritical. You should not be able to be bought as a pastor. I know I shouldn't, right? So... 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I love the way Paul says this because this is my heart. I don't know how to... He, he nails exactly the way I think on a regular basis. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He knows he's not perfect. That's the thing. He knows he's not perfect. But I press on to possess that perfection. I used to, years ago, for, for most of my life, up until my, my mid-20s, I, a very competitive person, and I would press on to perfection because the, the goal was perfection. You understand what I'm saying? In everything I've ever done in my life, I was going to be the best. I wasn't going to be good. It wasn't about the issue. It wasn't about being competent or whatever. It was about being better than others. Didn't mean I was achieving my best. It just meant I was better. That, that drove me for years. That's not what Paul is talking about. You're not pursuing perfection because of the sake of perfection. You're pursuing perfection because, man, you love God. And you want to be the best that he's created you to be. You want to be amazing because he's amazing. And he's given you the opportunity. He's given you a life. He's given you a time. He's given you abilities, competencies, personality stuff. He's given you all kinds of things. Man, I'm going to max this out for Jesus. Why? Because I love him. Not because, not because I'm, I'm uh, achieving awards or something else, but because I love him. He's the groom. I'm the bride. And man, I want to be a good bride. I want to be the best I can for him. And that's, nowadays, that's what convicts me the most, is, is not the, um, the sinning kind. I'm not trying to sound holier than thou or anything else, okay? Don't misunderstand this. But, but I'm not the same that I was in the past. I'm not going around sinning like I used to. I used to be good at it. But uh, that's, not, that's not who I am now. But I can say this. I, I do want to be better at whatever Jesus wants me to be better at. And what convicts me the most now is when I know I'm getting lazy about something. Nobody else will know. Nobody, it hasn't, I can fake it. I can whatever. But I know I'm getting lazy about this. Or I know my attitude is getting wrong about this. And, and, I, and I bring it back to the Lord. And I say, Lord, I, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy you want me to be. When Jesus is looking at me, I don't want him to be saying, you know, he seems like he's got it together. But man, his attitude is just not right. In here. Everybody else, nobody else knows it. But in here, he's just not right. I don't want that. I, I, I want him to say, you're the guy I need because you're tracking with me. I need this done. So you're tracking. Well, let's do this. That's what, and that's what Paul is saying here. I'm pressing on toward perfection. Look, look how he continues it. For which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Jesus is, is living and dwelling within my existence. He gives me the Holy Spirit. He gives me the blood of uh, the, his blood that was sacrificed on the cross so I could be right with God. If he's going to do all of that, if he's going to uh, possess me that way, if he's going to give everything to me, that shouldn't I pursue him? Shouldn't I pursue the things of him and, and be as good as I possibly can be? At those near, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. Calling, talking about perfection. But here's how he gets to this. But I focused on this one thing. He's pursuing perfection. This is how he gets there. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. That's difficult. Sorry, my nose is running a little. It's a little chilly outside. I'm, is the cold weather just making you guys frisky? Is that what it is? I don't know. So, 
Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I could not do this. It, it took me years to get this in my head and my spirit. I could not do this. Forgetting who I was. Forgetting the, the jerk. and the, I, I have a group of guys that I get together with. Uh, we try to every year because I'm, they're all in Dallas because I'm in Colorado. I struggle. But we get together when we used to go to Ranger baseball games and, and um, COVID messed that up. But... Um, but, but we've been doing this since 1989. And uh, first one was an uh, Astros game. We realized nobody really likes the Astros. So we started going to the Rangers. But these guys struggle with, with me being a pastor. They knew me. They were all 20, 21. One of them was 25. I was 18. They struggled with me being a pastor because they knew me then. And they've told me that. I had one guy, one of the guys, he's, he's, these are all good friends of mine. I had one of them call me one time, and he was struggling with some things, struggling with his marriage, and he calls me, and he says, I just need help. He said, but man, this is weird. You're counseling me. And so I just told him, well, you have no hope. Give up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a giver. But, but here's the thing. I, I know who I was back in the day. I knew who I was. I knew... I, I know how I treated people. I know how I treated God. I know, I, But you know, this is the thing. Jesus has forgiven me. I could not stand up here and do what I do week after week unless I knew, unless I really knew Jesus had forgiven me. Oh, I could get up and preach, but it would be very shallow and hypocritical because I'm working out of me instead of letting the Holy Spirit guide and lead. The way you let Holy Spirit guide and lead is you forget your past and you move the direction God has told you to move. You've got to let go of the condemnation and the guilt and all this stuff. You can't forget all the stuff you've done. Although every now and then I catch myself forgetting things. And then Linda reminds me. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, so that's who I used to be. But I really do forget stuff. But it takes a while pursuing God to forget some of that stuff. It just does. You've got to, you've got to get to a point in your spirit where you say, Jesus, I am forgiven. Not because of anything I've done, not because of, of uh, this thing we call Christianity. I am forgiven because you died on the cross for me. That's it. Amen. And I'm forgiven. You can't keep holding on to stuff and expect to walk forward. You've got to, somewhere along the way, you've got to let go of the stuff. You've got to let go of all the, the junk and the baggage and the things. And I've even seen where couples had to do this together where they weren't Christians um, they weren't serving God when they got married, and they, they really had to get before God as a couple, as, as this one in Christ thing, and really work through this and ask God to help them. God, we, we don't feel that forgiven. Okay, well, keep talking to Him. The Holy Spirit will help you feel forgiven. That's part of His goal. Not just that you know you're forgiven, but that you feel you're forgiven too. In fact, I've done this with people I've witnessed to over the years. Romans 10.14 says that, that whoever believes in the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, uh, and I've asked people, you pray for them, they, they accept Jesus, you pray for them, they, they pray with you, they accept Jesus, and then I will ask them, do you believe that you're forgiven? And, and if they say anything that has a slight hesitance, well, yeah, no, 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 no. Let's stop right there. Because you need to know there's an inward witness and there's an outward witness. The way you feel and then the way you act begins to change. But the way you feel, there, we don't talk about this enough in the church. You need to know that you're forgiven and saved because you feel it too. Which means he has broke down strongholds and you're not going to keep being the person that you were being. 
which is part of the reason we don't like to talk about it in the church. Because the idea you're going to change, be transformed, be somebody different, that's not popular talk. We want to get saved and stay exactly the same we are. You, you need to know you're forgiven. You need to, so I'll ask him, you feel forgiven? Well, let's pray again. Holy Spirit's big and he's patient. And he's got a plan for you. He wants you to know that you are, not just, not just think, well, I guess I prayed a prayer. So, no, let's go there. Let's pursue this just a little bit. After the fourth or fifth time, they'll tell you they feel it. <laughs> you hope they're being serious. You hope they're being truthful or not like, this guy's going to keep praying. All right. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ is calling us. Don't you want to receive that heavenly prize? Amen. You know what the most, the biggest part of the heavenly prize is not heaven. It's not what we call heaven. It's Jesus. It's relationship. It's stepping into his presence. It's stepping. I've heard people say this before, and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to judge where their mind was with it, but, but it, these kind of things just make me think. When I hear people say things, I have to analyze. I can't help it. Say, well, I can't wait till I step on those streets of gold. I don't even think we're going to notice the streets of gold for the first, I don't know, 100,000 years. <laughs> because we've got Jesus. Because we've got him. And then one day you're like, look at here, the streets are really are gold. <laughs> I mean, really think about this. You think our goal is to just get to a, a nice, cool um, nirvana place? That's not the goal. The goal is there's a groom waiting for his bride. That's where we're headed. Psalms 32, verse 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. Finally. You ever felt that way? Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. You ever felt that way about somebody else? That you've been watching them struggle and all the stuff? Finally, I confessed all my sins and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Because God knew it anyway. Finally. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. Do you see the revelation he's having here? And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. There is this epiphanic moment for him. I, I confessed it, and you forgave me. Which you know there's a part of him that, that was thinking... I should have started here. I should have started with repenting and repenting of my rebellion and everything. Why? Because you forgive me. That's the best there is possible. You forgive me. We've, we've got to be careful with making extra rules for us, ourselves. I, I don't struggle near as much at making extra rules for others. I do it for me. Now, some of you are the other way around. You make extra rules for others. That's, that's judging people. You need to get that under the blood. You need to be forgiven of that. Well, mine is not doing that to others. It's doing it to me. I make other rules for me. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And Jesus is saying, why? Is my cross not good enough? Do you, need to, do you need to add to the cross? Do you need to do something else for the cross? Do you want me to make the spikes bigger? Will that help? How about the crown of thorns? Why don't we make it a body wrap of thorns? Will that help you? But see, we're not doing it to Jesus. We're doing it to us. We think the body wrap of thorns is for us. We think the bigger spikes are for us. And Jesus said, I did it all. You've just got to let me be that guy. You've got to let me embrace you with my forgiveness. That's our choice. 
You've got to process that. So, we're going to pray about this at the end, but I want you to think about this. Is that where you are? Are you struggling with that? Are you struggling to forgive you? Being forgiven. Guys, we hope to break down that stronghold, even as we're praying here in a little bit. We need to break down that stronghold. The Lord is, is, is doing everything, shouting out as loud as He can that He has forgiven you. Let's, let's go there. Let's be that. John chapter 11, the second part of this is you've also got to forgive God. And this is one where, where I really, again, this, I struggled. I struggled a few different times and places in my life with this. One of the major breakthroughs in both of these, forgiving myself and forgiving God, one of the major breakthroughs, sounds like a very small moment or nothing to you, but to me, this was, this was profound. I was, um, this was 1994, I was 24 years old, I was a youth pastor, um, and, and somebody, probably because of the sermons I'd been preaching, but somebody put a picture on my desk of Jesus. And it was Jesus. So you can find this online too, by the way. But Jesus' head was reared back and he was laughing. Apparently people thought I needed to see this view of Jesus. And I did, desperately needed to see this. I could not, I'd, I never thought about Jesus like that. Jesus was laughing. What would be the closest I could come was Jesus was laughing at us. That's the closest I could come. Because I didn't, I didn't understand Jesus. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't think he, he could be fun. I didn't think things like humor. And, and here's something. This was actually a pivotal point for this subject, too. I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, you should not use uh, humor in the pulpit. It's, um, it uh, diminishes or, or degrades the gospel. And then I make a joke about it. So, haha, <laughs> <laughs> you have a big nose. I don't know what I, but uh, th- this is something, here, here's, but see, I struggled under some of this stuff back in the day because I, I never just processed, God made me this way. If God made me this way and he calls me, don't you think he's going to use the ways he made me to accomplish the call that he gave me? Why would, why, why would he call me and then expect me to be completely different? See, I, I've watched this for years. Pastors that are completely different people in the pulpit than they are in their life. I've watched this all my life. And this was one of the biggest. And here was actually the driving force. The biggest reason was for my kids. I didn't want But I, I, I wanted them to, this, was, this is me. And, and part of the reason is because God made me this way. This means he needs to use me this way. That's why I, I, I've told many people over the years, I've had a lot of uh, pastors over the years that will say, okay, um, they're not saying you really teach me how to preach, although I've had that question too, but, but there's a lot of how do you preach? How do you prepare my How do you do all this kind of stuff? And the biggest thing I tell them is get with God and be you with God. And then whatever God puts in your heart, you get here and you be the same person. You be you with God and with us as a group. But I couldn't see Jesus as being a, a funny guy. That's why I'll say things now when I'm, when I'm speaking. I'll, I'll point stuff out. This is where Jesus is being funny. Jesus is a funny guy. He said very funny and sarcastic things all through the New Testament. It's, it's hilarious, some of the stuff. But we miss it because we think he's just walking around going, oh, bless you, oh, bless you, all the time. Think about this. The disciples... We're about 18, 19, 20 years old. 
Okay, When you see pictures of Jesus at the Lord's Supper and you've got all these old, white-bearded guys sitting around, that is not accurate. And I can prove it. Because how were they still doing ministry 50 years later? Which we know as a fact. Because they weren't already 40 or 50. They weren't older than Jesus. Jesus was way older than them. He was 30. He was the old man. They were 18, 19, 20. So, with that being said, when you, when you look at these guys, put 12, just pick 12 random 19-year-olds, males, and get them in a room and try to have a serious conversation for a couple of hours. But see, I didn't see this back in the day. It took me understanding Jesus to shift gears enough to realize these guys were probably obnoxious most of the time, always joking around, wrestling around. Get, get 12, 19-year-olds, there's going to be a wrestling match break out somewhere in the mix. I mean, it's an impossibility. So when you begin to see this and you begin to process this, and then you think, okay, Jesus was this 30-year-old hanging out with these guys. You know he mixed it up with them too. You know he gave them a hard time. You know he joked. They sat around the fire eating fish and joking about it. And There's no way it couldn't have been. Okay, when I see Jesus with his head back and laughing, I can I can embrace that some. I can understand that. And you know what it did to help me as a as a 24 year old is maybe just maybe Jesus really just likes hanging out with me because I'm funny. Right. Think about it. You go wherever direction uh, you want with that personally. Jesus really just likes hanging out with you. Why? Because you're just a nice person. You're kind. You're a giver. I mean, you could go all kinds of different directions. But there has to come a point for you to really embrace God. Not only embrace Him to forgive you, but just embrace Him and who He is. You've got to do some forgiving. And sometimes your forgiveness has to be, God, I'm sorry. I've been holding this against you. I prayed for this as a kid. Go to a childhood being abused sexually, physically, or something for year after year after year, don't you think somebody would eventually say later in life, God, why didn't you rescue me from that? Why didn't you step in and fix that? You could. You're big enough. Why didn't you? Don't you think there's some stuff we have to deal with God sometimes? Some forgiveness, some resentment mentalities? There's been times when I've been so upset with God, so angry with God. I've been telling churches this for as long as God helped me figure this out. And I, and I raise my children this way. If you're upset at God, tell him. Because he already knows. He already knows you're mad. He already knows you, what you're feeling. He already knows the, the anger, the, the uh, tension, or the non-trusting that you have for him now. Tell him. Now, I, I do want to throw this. There's a little caveat that's important here. Remember, he's the creator of the universe, and he's bigger than anything, and he's the guy that created the lake of fire, so do it respectfully. <laughs> right? I mean, that one should be common sense. But I also believe God is big enough, his shoulders are big enough to carry us when we say, God, I think you treated me wrong, and here's when you did it, and here's how you did it. I think God's big enough to handle that. And I think he's big enough to wrap his arms around you and say, it's okay, I get it. I understand that. I've had those conversations with my kids. And here's the difference between God and I is sometimes I was wrong and my kids were right. Here's the truth about God. 
He's never wrong. But he'll still wrap his arms around you while you're griping at him. Because he knows this is part of being a human. This is part of our existence. Let, let, let me look at this real quick. John chapter 11. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, this is Lazarus, right? They called and said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is like, all right, give me another coffee. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus arrived at Bethany. He was told that Lazarus had already been in this grave for four days. You know, that's an important part of this, right? Four days. Four days is an, a total difference than being dead two days. Right? Because at some particular point, you can't argue with being dead. It's not like the princess bride. It's not like they're mostly dead. They're totally dead at four days. You can't argue they just had an arrhythmia and you wrapped them up in cloth and they were still alive. In the grave, stone rolled over four days, okay? Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. Jesus was, was very, very close to Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus, right? Very close, like best friends. But it doesn't say Jesus came to consult because that's not what he came for. He came to do a supernatural miracle, but nobody knew that yet. All right? Now look at this. Remember, remember Mary, and Mar uh, Mary and Martha? Martha's in the kitchen um, cooking dinner and doing all this stuff. And Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, like washing Jesus' feet with her hair. She was all about Jesus. He was the everything for her. She had been forgiven much. And so she knew and understood this. This same Mary, look. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. What happened to the Mary that just needed to be around him? She just held on to his stinky, dirty feet. That was Mary. Loved him so much that she washed his dirty feet off with her hair, poured um, perfume on his feet. She just needed to be close to him. Mary goes to see Jesus, but Mary, uh, Martha goes to see Jesus, but Mary stays in the house. There's the possibility that she's irritated with Jesus, angry, hurt, felt like that he had rejected them as, as friends. Jesus, you're healing everybody else, but, but you, just, you didn't even show up. Think about what Mary's processing here. See, I think she was very angry at Jesus. And even Martha doesn't get this. Martha said to Jesus, look, if you had only been here, what was he there for? To raise Lazarus from the dead. She can't imagine this. In fact, she says this statement. She says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever I ask. She didn't mean that second sentence because Jesus begins to talk to her about I am the everlasting. I bring life. I am life. I mean, he starts saying some pretty deep stuff to her. And she goes, oh, yeah, I know you could have healed him. If you would have been here, and I know God's probably going to do other cool stuff with you. But do you really think at that moment she was saying, I know you could even raise him from the dead? I, I, I can't believe that. The whole rest of the discourse doesn't say that. She's upset at Jesus too, but at least she goes, she's perfunctory. She goes through the motions. Mary doesn't go through the motions. She didn't earlier. She's not doing it now. Mary went through the motions. Martha went through the motions. You see, that's who she is. She's going through the motions now. The difference is Mary was upset, Martha was upset, but they were handling it differently. Because at some particular point, we have to get to the place where we say, God, I forgive you. God, I, you, you haven't treated me well in this area. 
I, I, I started saying this to the Lord years, years ago, and it has helped. I still have got upset at God at different times, but this has greatly helped. I began to, because I began to realize this. I said, God, you gave me my wife and you gave me my children. If you don't give me anything else, you've given me more than I could ever ask for. And I, and I, and I believe that and I prayed that. And now he's added daughter-in-laws, amazing gift. I, I didn't think that would be as cool as it is. And then he gave me grandkids, and now everyone else is dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, don't you think God loves you a whole lot? We know this in our minds, sometimes hard to get in our spirit. God loves you. Don't hold stuff against him. He's just. He's true. You gotta, at some point, you've got to trust him. You've got to trust that it's not working out the way you thought, but it's still God, and so it's, it's got to be the right way. That's a faith thing, isn't it? God's got to be doing the best for me. Well, it doesn't seem like it, but that's where faith comes in. Let your faith override your feelings. Let God's word override your resentment and your, and your, and, and your selfishness. Let your faith override these things. Why don't you stand with me? Again, if you can look at it this way, just picture Jesus just laughing, arm around you, holding your hand, however, you, however this mental picture works for you. But Jesus is just laughing. Why? Because he really enjoys being around you, which means he enjoys forgiving you. He, he doesn't want you to hold things against him. I mean, all this wraps up together. But let Jesus be that person. Okay? So I'm going to pray for us. But really, really, your process here is your process. You've got to think through this. You've got to pray through this. Ask God, God, do I need to work on something here? Is there somewhere I'm, I, need, I need to do something? Talk to God about this. Let God at least do something, begin something this morning in any of these arenas. Forgiving others, forgiving yourself, forgiving God. Let God work through some stuff with you. Okay? Let me pray. Lord, we just, we just submit ourselves to you. God, I submit my life. I submit my thought process to you. God, I submit how I think about you. And Lord, I submit that to you. God, and I pray that all over this room, that how we think about you, we'll hand that to you. And we'll let you hand back to us who you are. Not who we think you are, but who you are. Lord, when it comes to forgiveness, we hand it to you. You are grace. You are the forgiver. God, help us to be people of grace. Help us to follow the path that you, that you had to walk. Jesus, you're the, you're the redeemer. Lord, I believe you have forgiven me. I believe you've forgiven everyone in this room. Lord, if, if, if we go there with you, help us to, to believe it to have faith, to trust that you forgive us with, with, no, with no howevers or any caveats or anything. Lord, you have forgiven us, and that's just it. I'm going to press forward in the amazingness that you've given me, and I'm going to leave all of the junk and the sin and all the attitudes and condemnation and guilt, I'm going to leave all that behind and in this room. Lord, I pray that into their minds and into their heart and their spirit. Holy Spirit, you've got to do this. 
we need this, that I'm forgiven. Lord, I ask you to help me let go of the stuff that, that I've held against you. Lord, at different times of my life, you know the stuff, I don't have to say it. Or I was upset at you. I was angry at you. But Jesus, you're the everything. Help us not to, to be upset with you, God. Help us to forgive and to move on with you. Lord, help us to trust that you are treating us the right way at all times. You're not accusing us. You're not angry. You're treating us right. And it truly is the best possible thing for us. Lord, help us to stay there and to stay in that place. That, you, that we forgive you anything that we've held against you in the name of Jesus Lord you're the everlasting one you're the redeemer you are love you are grace Lord we want to embrace that we just want to go there thank you Jesus thank you Jesus just let your Holy Spirit just wash over this room So here is, um, here's where it rests. You've got to talk to God about this. I think God can start things like, like this morning. But I think these are processes sometimes we have to walk through. So, so do that. Don't run away from it. Don't, don't shy away from it. So before noon Tuesday, because it's really cold, you get an extra day. Before noon Tuesday, God's going to give you a chance to tell somebody Jesus loves them. How big he is, how amazing he is. Take, take the step of faith. Step out there and tell them. Jesus has really got a plan for them. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So, shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here. And then uh, we'll hopefully we'll see everybody here Wednesday night. We're talking about Job 38 Wednesday night. So you can look at it ahead of time.